in you, there is no darkness at all. Shine in our hearts, Jesus. Bring your light to the darkest places of ourselves. Bring your presence into the areas we most want to hide, the places we most want to shut off from you, because while we fear, we'll we'll feel naked and exposed. What we'll find instead is your love. And so fill us with your spirit as we listen to your word today. Find us wherever we are and bring us more fully. Draw us more deeply into the sheer reality of your love and your life. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. You can be seated. In case you haven't been around Pillar recently, or are just visiting today, or you just haven't caught on to what we're doing, um, we're doing our best in this season to make our way through chapter by chapter, week by week, the book of Mark. And Mark is one of the Gospels that tells of the life and the story of Jesus. Mark is a good one to read if you like action, if you like, uh, if you'd rather have things said succinctly, short and sweet-like, rather than the use of flowery words, Mark's aim isn't to give all the details of history, but it's to tell a clear message. So listen to what his message has to say to us today. We'll be starting in chapter 8 and going into chapter 9, starting with verse 27. Jesus went on with his disciples into Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? They answered him, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. And Jesus asked, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And then Jesus sternly told them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and in three days rise again. He said all of this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, and he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind on things that are on earth, not things that are above. He called the crowd with his disciples, and he said to all of them, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life For my sake and for the sake of the gospel, we'll save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world but to forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give for a return on their life? 
those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and the angels. And then he said to them, Truly I tell you, there are some standing here today who will not taste death until they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared with them Elijah and Moses talking to Jesus. And then Peter said, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Elijah, and one for Moses. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed him, and from them, and from the cloud came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. And suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. There's a lot of content there. Some of it, I think, is surprising. Some of it exciting. Some of it may not be so easy to hear. Some of it may leave us with more questions than answers. And that's okay. Lean into the questions. Don't shy away from the questions. The Christian faith, just it's never been one that can be wrapped up nice and neat and tied in a bow. And anyone who thinks they have all of the answers hasn't explored all of the questions. So notice the questions and talk about them afterward with each other. What's in here that gives you hope? What's in here that confuses you? What's in here that concerns you? Each week, you might want to know this, there are questions, discussion questions, based on each sermon that, that are posted on our website. Um, on our website, there's a tab for city groups, and if you click on that tab, it'll bring you to the page, and you can click on, on a button for the questions. They're created for city groups to use and discuss, but they're open to anyone. So maybe that would be helpful for you as you continue to dive into the questions and the reading of this text. Today, I'd like to point out three things that I think are worth noticing here. And I'll be honest with you, I tried, I attempted to do something new and exciting for me. Um, I was finally going to, for the first time, use alliteration for the three points of my sermon. <laughs> and I felt pretty good about it on Thursday, and then yesterday it all fell apart. <laughs> Uh, so I've never done that before, but I was really going after three words that start with the letter D. Um, but apparently either I've got a lot to learn about this practice or the gospel just cannot be tamed because <laughs> I couldn't figure out the last word. Um, so here's, here's you have it. Here's what I'm going um, I'm gonna offer to you. Here's what's worth noticing in this text. It has to do with declaration, discovery, and clarity. I was only one letter off. 
first declaration. What's particular, particularly striking in this opening um, section of Mark here is that up until this point in the gospel, Jesus has not been named for who he is. He has not yet been named for who he is. Um, let's read that again in verse 28. Jesus had just asked his disciples about the common perspective and opinion about who he is. And they answered him, John the Baptist, now there's Elijah and still others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. You are the Messiah. Again, that's the first time Jesus is named in Mark for who he is. The first time he is no longer explained away, speculated upon, talked about, instead answered to, spoken to, and claimed in faith. Clearly, his disciples have considered the options. Everyone's considering the options. Well, I think he sounds like, no, he's probably, <laughs> and Jesus is done with it. He's done being talked about. And so he gives his closest friends a chance to cut through the guesswork and make an essential decision in faith. In all the speculation, who do you believe me to be? It's this necessary declaration that Jesus asks for. And it sounds simple. But is, is it so unfamiliar? Do you know how much we talk about who we think Jesus is? And we think we have it all figured out. What Jesus wants for our world. What Jesus wants for our nation, what Jesus wants for our lives. We actually have a stunning ability to, to make Jesus into our own image, with our own desires, with our own opinions. And it's not just that Caucasian Christians have for a long time depicted Jesus as blonde-haired and blue-eyed in paintings. The best part is finding out that Jesus is passionate about the exact kind of justice that I'm passionate about. And he actually has the exact same political leanings. <laughs> he also isn't a pushy Jesus. He would never argue with your truth. Some say he's John the Baptist. Others, Elijah and still others, one of the prophets. Or maybe... Some say he's a moral guide to right living. Others, a political activist. And others, a leadership how-to guru. So, he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Let's right now break through the speculations. Break through the explanations. Break through the agendas. His question breaks through to you today. Who do you say that I am? When the debt feels overwhelming and crippling, who do you say that I am? When the world refugee crisis leads to a heart of despair, who do you say that I am? When the deep loneliness leads to efforts to put band-aids and masks on the pain, 
who do you say that I am? When the political discourse leads to disillusionment, who do you say that I am? When the thoughts come about your past decision, the one-night encounter, the drunken mistake, the abortion, who do you say that I am? And when hatred rises while looking at the image staring back at you in the mirror, who do you say that I am? There is not one example of a life circumstance, a grief, a pain that does not give rise to Jesus' question. Are you going to try to use me to speculate, to understand, to make meaning of your pain, or are you going to invite me into it? Are you going to announce my name to it? There is not a circumstance grief or pain out of which Christ's lordship cannot be declared. And you get the feeling that when, when Peter answers Jesus' question, when he declares him as Messiah, he thinks he's pretty much worked out the rest of the story. Total overhaul, complete domination, power and control over everything bad that would speak anything against Jesus. And does that declaration make everything right itself? Well, let's keep reading and see what we find out. Immediately following Jesus's, or Peter's declaration of Jesus as Messiah, Jesus then chooses to elaborate on what exactly the kind of Messiah he is. Verse 31 says this. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all of this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Makes me think that Peter had a little bit of a different idea about what kind of Jesus he thought he was declaring. And it doesn't stop there. In verse 34, Mark continues in this less than enticing manner. Jesus called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and the sake of the gospel will save it. Is that the lordship you claimed? A suffering Messiah who asks the same of you? A friend of mine once asked, what do you do when the God you have isn't the God you prefer? What if the name I declare doesn't bring out the outcome I so desperately desire? And this is where the declaration gives way to our second point, our second D, discovery. The uncovering of new understandings of who this Jesus is, how he's different maybe than we thought he would be, and what he asks of us in return. In these texts, we discover that we have a Messiah who chooses to work subversively in our lives and in the world over controlling it with heavy-handed power. 
we discover we have a Messiah who's in it for the long game. And in the long game of the gospel, Christ declared lordship is an inbreaking of the kingdom into dark places, an entrance into the suffering by the one who did it first. That's what we discover about this Messiah. And there's a th- another piece that we discover, and this might be the hardest pill to swallow because we, it's a discovery about ourselves. That actually our lives aren't meant to be for the benefit of us. That we weren't created for our own happiness. I think that might be the most countercultural thing I could say today. We live in an age of self-worship propaganda and self-care soapboxes and treat-yourself sermons on social media all day long. It's impossible to get out of. It's impossible to escape. And here in the story of Mark, we find a different calling, one not to self-filling, but one to self-emptying. Now, before you get ahead of me, I don't want to be misunderstood, so I want to say something on self-care, the buzzword. There are wonderful massage therapists and chiropractors who can help us live well in our created bodies. It's appropriate to rest, more than just to rest to be restored and reminded of who we are. And I love vacation. I don't believe the self-denial that we're called into ignores or refuses the gifts and blessings we're given in this life. There's great joy in life, and it's God-given, and I want you to experience it. I experience great joy in this life. No, self-denial, Jesus' kind of self-denial, is not some sort of twisted self-punishment. What it actually is, I believe, is ego denial, pride denial, denial of cheap fixes and band-aids, denial of the need to escape and hide, denial of my needs first, of the belief that I matter most, denial of selfishness and self-promotion and self-righteousness, denial of revenge, denial of always fighting for the next step up. Taylor Swift has a new documentary on Netflix. Is that where you thought I was going? (laughs) In her documentary, she offers something that I haven't quickly forgotten. She said this, I had won album of the year at the Grammys for a second time, which I never thought was possible. And I remembered thinking afterward, That was all you wanted. Gosh, that was all you wanted. You get to the mountaintop and you look around and you think, what now? She made it. She got to the top. And she still was left empty. You see? It's Jesus' kind of self-denial that offers something different, a different kind of life something more. 
in the space that's left over from the self-emptying, we'll discover that that's where the declaration of Jesus really starts taking root. We don't empty for the sake of being empty, and we don't empty to stay empty. We are filled with something else, something different, something better. There's room then there for the Spirit of God to do the subversive, transformative work that he came to do. So I'm going to invite you into something for the next week, the next seven days. So I think you can do it. It's only seven days. If you're really into it, you can make it your Lenten practice because this could be the perfect time to take something on like this. Every morning upon waking up, begin your day with a prayer to take on Jesus' kind of self-denial, whatever that looks like for you. And pray that in the space that's left over, God's Spirit would fill you instead. That there would be an emptying and a filling every day. Now I'm terrible at remembering things on my own, so if you're like me in any way, set an additional alarm. Write a note on the mirror. Put a sticky note on your bedside table or refrigerator or coffee pot, maybe, whatever it takes to be consistent for the next seven days. Declare Christ as Messiah. Invite his spirit to fill you daily and open your eyes to discover what self-denial means for you, what Jesus' kind of self-denial means for you. And take notes notes each day. You're welcome to text or email me because I like that kind of sermon feedback. What happens as a result? And finally, this text brings us through declaration into discovery and brings us to the clarity, that's my third D, that's found in the end of it all. So listen to 9 verse 3, chapter 9 verse 3. And Jesus was transformed before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were, who were talking with Jesus. And then jumping ahead to verse 7. Then a cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud there came a voice, This is my son, the beloved, listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore. But only Jesus. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. To anything else that might distract you, only Jesus. To everything else that might want the last word, only Jesus. The culmination of the declaration into discovery is this clarity, only Jesus, after everything else fades away, only Jesus. So about four years ago, we took an offering at Pillar in one of our services, or both of our services, one Sunday, to help support refugees that we, would, that we were hoping would come into our community that we could help support relationally and financially. 
And so a refugee care fund was established. Many of you, if you were here, I'm sure generously supported it. It, it was generously supported. Um, following that time in the next year or so, Pillar gathered a team of people who were willing and ready and able to do the hands-on work of sponsoring refugees that were being resettled in our area. So, and we had a couple opportunities uh, to support, to come alongside other churches and organizations who were supporting refugees and also to come alongside families. Many of you know and love the Mayom family. Um, we love them. And then, following that short period, nothing and it seemed that the longer we waited for another family to come, the more crickets chirped. A few years passed, and, and less and less people seemed to be relocated to the Holland area, but less and less people seemed to be relocated in the United States at large. Fast forward to a couple of weeks ago when Pillar's deacons met and, and wondered together how should we be faithful with that money from that first offering? How can we steward it well? We've got lots left over and, and seemingly not a place to go with it. Should we offer it to another church maybe? Another place? Keeping in mind that our original refugee care team had disbanded and was just not in the conversation the same way anymore. We started working towards finding another way forward with, with the funds. I was just about to reach out to a contact I had at Bethany Christian Services, the resettlement agency, when last Thursday happened. It was a week and a half ago. I received an urgent message from a staff member at Bethany whose name was Deb. Some of you met with her after the service last week up in the balcony. There was a family from Afghanistan coming to Holland the coming Tuesday. Were we ready to sponsor them? As the question came in, I was stunned. Also curious about the timing of the call in light of Pillar just kind of reopening this, this conversation around refugees as a part of our larger community together. And so on that day, that Thursday, many of you received an email from me. I, I tried to pull together as many emails I could grab from the last care, refugee care group that had worked together, maybe adding in a few people who had come to Pillar since that time, uh, who I knew might be interested in this type of effort. Um, and, I, and I just asked a, a, a question to about 40 people, maybe, in that email. I, I said, basically, we, we don't have a refugee care director at the moment. Uh, we don't have a team to do it. And our conversations on this topic have been minimal. Is this even a passion of pillars anymore? We don't have to go forward with it. There's no pressure. Or maybe we'd be ready in the future for a family to come and, and sponsor them, but right now we just need a little bit more time to reorganize ourselves. Um, or do you want to go all hands on deck? Be ready in five days. I had no idea what to expect. <laughs> Almost immediately, the responses started pouring in. We're ready now. 
we're ready now. We'll be ready now. Two of you offered to take lead on it and be the connection point between the family coming and and volunteers from, from our community. Two of you discovered that you were already friends with the U.S. connection that this family had named on their refugee application uh, form, their friend, a friend of theirs who had been resettled to Holland a few years ago. Some of you have particular knowledge and experience with the Muslim faith of which this family is a part. One of you had acquainted yourself um, some time ago with food, uh, the type of food that would be familiar to a Muslim neighbor, neighbor should you ever have one. <laughs> and so you knew where to go shopping to fill the pantry. Some of you just have space to help with transportation, the children's education, with practicing English, with learning Holland's bus routes, or just to show up with cookies to be a friend. In this past Tuesday, about 30 of you, 10.45 p.m., when this family's, the Ramsey family, their flight came in to the airport, you went to meet them to welcome a family who has quite possibly never felt anticipated or wanted anywhere they've lived before. You can see the four family members, uh, the husband, the dad, Ali, he is grabbing the littlest one right there to hold her in place. Her name is Hania. Her mom is standing right above her with the gray. Her name is Zahira. And her sister, so we got one-year-old Hania, her sister Mersal is six, and she's clutching a lot of stuffed animals that were be given to her that, that night. There were tears and laughter. It was an overwhelming experience. At one point on Tuesday night, one of Pillar's welcoming team was approached by a man who had just disembarked off of a different flight and was walking out of the airport. As he was leaving the gate, he was curious what all the commotion was about. And so he asked Larry from, from our group, and Larry told him. Um, at which point he pulled a $100 bill out of his pocket, gave it to Larry, and said, use this for whatever they need. We declare only Jesus. In it, we discover only Jesus. And that brings about the only clarity you'll ever need. Only Jesus. So we go to the table. Let's pray together. Holy God, you've given us life, breath, being. You've just met us by your word and you meet us now at your table. In the bread and in the cup, we see only Jesus. Teach us what it means to respond to your grace with the living sacrifices of our very selves. We ache, we long for the day. All things will be finished. All things will be made new. 
all things will be made right. And so we pray. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.